I know, I know. Got it. Very good. Three weeks ago, um, it's hard to believe that was the last time I preached. Three weeks ago, right? I know I was absent last week. I, thank you, brother. God was pleased I got a gold. So anyway, anyway. Um, and uh, the week before, I, Brother Tim shared last week. Looking forward to hearing him. I heard he did a good job. I always like to eavesdrop on the podcast. And then two weeks uh, before, we had John Edwards. I was here, but he was speaking. And then the week before that, anybody remember what I preached on? No, Pastor John. Yeah, it was about, yeah, about, thank you. That's, yeah. The universal answer for every Christian question right there, Jesus, you know. What will help us with our finances? Jesus. What will help us with, yeah. It's always a universal answer. You can't lose with that. No, uh, it had to do with forgiving, forgiving people, right? And uh, so I didn't finish my sermon that week. It was like 40 minutes easy, and I still had another, like, hour. I'm, I'm teasing, okay? But I do want to finish it up. I want to speak into it, and it's amazing Because that subject touches a nerve with all of us, right? The whole idea, remember it was called an AFR dialogue, anger, forgiveness, and restoration or restitution. And it touches a nerve with all of us, doesn't it? Because we all have situations that have really angered us. Sometimes we're angry for the wrong reasons because we're just crabby. But sometimes because somebody really wronged us, correct? And then, and then becomes the issue of, okay, so I worked through the painful process. By the way, let me repeat that. The painful process of forgiveness. And then does that mean that I have to totally reinstate the relationship that has been broken? Not necessarily. And we referenced that last time. I used Jimmy Swaggart as my illustration because he was a guy who, even though he teaches the word, had missed a major point. There's a big jump between forgiving somebody and trusting them again. That's a whole different thing. And sometimes people are not to be trusted a second time. You know, how many times am I going to let you steal my car before I stop loaning it to you, Blanche, right? Bring it back next time. So I made that up. She's, she's innocent. She's wonderful. Okay. See, I just told your, your wife is wonderful. I just, okay. So let's talk about the freedom of forgiveness today. And um, I have that title with an asterisk because you can see the apologies to David Augsburger, who wrote the book that I referenced two weeks, three weeks ago, The Freedom of Forgiveness, which is a very old one, and you can't have this one. I won't even loan it to you because it was printed in 1970 and only cost 75 cents. Now, how do I replace that, right? So, but there's a couple of good points in there. So, we looked at the gospel reflecting, even in the words of Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to remember his sacrifice on a regular basis, which we did this morning, that it's about the gospel of forgiveness, blood poured out to forgive sins, yours and everyone who will come by faith to him. Amen? Everyone who will come by faith. People don't know that they need forgiveness today. We don't even know what sin is today. We think, you know, texting while driving is the worst sin, which, by the way, is one of the worst sins, but not from a biblical perspective. And and things that are highly violating 
the, the uh, principles of God's word, people don't even bat an eye at and don't feel guilty. Seems to me that there needs to be an illumining work of the Holy Spirit and a consciousness raising, if you will, of the need for forgiveness. And we all do feel it just sometimes for the wrong things. We all feel a need for restoration and forgiveness and to be let off for something we're disappointed about. Maybe we are ecologically sinful. I was a chronic litterer, and I need forgiveness. I mean, that sounds so silly, but there are people, that's their big sin, they think. Well, anyway, here's the point. The entire, uh, that's the verse we looked at. Look at this. This was from Christopher Marshall, a text that uh, Pastor Tim referenced to me. An entire Christian message centers on forgiveness, which it views as both gift and demand. Do you all understand what he's saying there? It's a gift that we receive. We want it, but we don't want to give it. But Jesus says, I'm demanding this of you. In fact, it's what defines you. It's why everybody is always awestruck at the Amish when they forgive some horrible sin that's been done against their community. And everyone goes, aren't they amazing? No, they're acting like Christians. It's just there's too few of us around to make it obvious. Sorry, I'm preaching now, aren't I? No, I'm not sorry. So here's the uh, encouragement, and let me just show you something else about the preaching of the gospel, just to prove to you that it comes out over and over again, even though we lose sight of it. He said to them, thus it is written, Christ, this is when he opens the eyes of his disciples who didn't realize he'd been raised from the dead, and he's walking with them. And then, bing, the lights come on, and he starts instructing them that Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, that repentance for what? For forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. You want to know what it means to share your faith or to preach the gospel in foreign lands? There it is. Repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And by the way, repentance is part of that receiving of this wonderful gift. That's where we get confused. Repentance is where I change my mind and I'm willing to embrace that what God says is right and what I've been doing is wrong. So that's how it works, Gesundheit. So much could be said about preaching the gospel in his name and the freedom that it comes. Freedom of forgiveness. Think about the words, freedom of forgiveness. What am I freed from? Number one, I'm freed from the guilt. I'm freed from the reality of punishment. Don't we who are trusting God to take us to heaven, don't we have that wonderful gift of assurance that I'm free? I don't have to pay the penalty. It's been paid for me. But we also can be freed from being tormented with guilt and tormented with bondage. We're freed not only from our sin consequence, but freed from the bondage that it brings in our lives. And that's probably the place that the church so often, the church, not this one, the church, we're included, but the church gets stuck. We know the doctrine that says, I'm freed and I'm on my way to heaven, but we continue to live in our bondage. And we don't have to. In fact, it's that liberation of releasing people like the Amish example I'm using that's like, wow, where did that come from? Are they just making that up to impress us? So they get in the newspaper. Or do they really release those people? 
I think they release them. So, let me just read something to you. We put this on the, um, on the board last time just so we could see it. Forgiveness, this is from uh, the same gentleman, uh, Beyond Retribution, Christopher Marshall. The Nature and Task of Forgiveness was the name of the chapter. And he says, forgiveness is what happens when a victim, the victim... You know, somebody picked on James, and I'm really mad that they picked on James, but that's not my offense. I'm taking up an offense at that point. Boy, we're really good at this, by the way. Can I just tell you it's naughty? You have to lay it down. It's not your offense. You can be angry for justice to be done. That I'm okay with. But when I'm the victim, I'm the one that needs to forgive Donna for attacking me. You see what I mean? She didn't, by the way. Don't anybody go lecture her after church. I'm the one that has to be asked forgiveness because it was personal between me and her. Victim of some hurtful action freely chooses to release the perpetrator of that action from the bondage of guilt. Gives up his or her feelings of ill will. There's the hard one, right? Gives up the feelings of ill will and surrenders any attempt to hurt or damage the perpetrator in return, thus clearing the way for reconciliation and restoration of relationship. If that should happen. We don't always know if that should happen. So let's leave that off. All I want to talk about is the fact they give up, they surrender the attempt to hurt or damage the perpetrator. Because isn't that what forgiveness really is about? When I'm bitter, you owe me. And I want to exact the pound of flesh that I think is rightfully mine. Isn't that it? Of course it is. So there's two stories in the Bible that I would like to use this morning. And what we're going to do, I'm going to do something completely different because I get a little convicted sometimes. Once, you know, about once every three years I get convicted about something. I'm glad somebody has a sense of humor here. Anyway, it's like every 20 minutes maybe. The point is, um, sometimes I hear... uh, TV preachers or preachers on the air or whatever, and I hear them say, turn in your Bibles, and I hear all the fluttering of the pages, and like, we don't do enough of that. So I'm going to make you do that today, okay? Oh, get over it already. Okay. Page 1029, if you would turn to it in the, in the Pew Bible. If you know your Bible, turn to Luke 7. Those of you who have Bibles and know how to, okay, and know how to find it, Luke 7. If you don't have a Bible or you don't know how to find your way there, you can use the Pew Bible. These are nice new Pew Bibles, aren't they? And you can actually read them. Yeah, it's fun. Page 1029. There's two stories that I want to bring back to our attention. You've probably read them before. Maybe it's totally brand new to you. Two very classic illustrations of what Jesus is trying to get through to us as his disciples about forgiveness. So here's the first story. First story is on page 1029. It's Luke chapter 7. Go down to verse 36. Verse 36. I was going to get there. Verse 36. Here's what it says. So follow along with me. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Please, can I pause for a second? I know I wasn't going to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. The Pharisees were the Bible teaching people, remember? I want to remind you of that. They were not the liberals. Those were the Sadducees. 
They were not the political communist Christianized people like the, um, what were they? They were the uh, Sakarii. Judas Iscariot was probably one of them. Okay? These are the Bible teaching people who sometimes get it wrong. And there was a woman in the city, verse 37, who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Can you imagine that? Have you ever been to a foot wash? Have you ever had your feet washed in a religious ceremony? Anybody? Anybody? Put your hand. How uncomfortable is that, right? Right? Imagine this. And imagine the discomfort of the church crowd. She's wiping with her beautiful hair. You know, it's like, ooh, duh. What kind of, what rate, what's the rating on this movie? You know what I mean? There was nothing unseemly going on here. She was a broken woman full of grief over her sin. Standing behind him and doing all that. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. I love when this comes out, don't you? Jesus answered him. He didn't ask a question. Jesus is answering him. He knows what he's thinking. Oh, Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh, say it, teacher. I'm all ears. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Get the owing, you owe me. And he's saying, you don't owe me anymore. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus says to him, you have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, You see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. She, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Boy, you'd have to be a real dullard not to connect the dots on this one. She loves me, you not so much. I mean, he even said so. You didn't even wash my feet. That's customary. It's customary when guests come to your house to eat that the slave washes, the household slave washes the guest's feet. You didn't even have the courtesy to do that. Whoa. Whoa. Unless Jesus is making it up. I don't think he was. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. He turns to her. We might as well finish the story because it's so beautiful, right? Your sins have been forgiven. (laughs) Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, well, who does this man think he is that even he even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to look at a couple of things out of this. One, the Pharisee says to himself, Well, he ought to know if he's a prophet that this is a sinner. He knows. He knows that she's a sinner. He knows that you're a sinner. Oh, I don't don't know if I can talk to God about that. He already knows. 
We're, we're amazing. I, I don't want to look at that about myself. How many things I've just, I, I don't want, I can't think about that right now. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at it. Why? You know, I, I can't. You have this idea that if I bring that out in the open before God, now he's going to change his mind and say, okay, you're out. That was, I knew that was hidden in there. I knew it. You finally came clean. You're out. Maybe your father acted like that to you, but our heavenly father doesn't. If you're in the beloved, you're forgiven. And we're afraid to bring out. He knows you're a sinner. He already knows that. She's a sinner. Duh. Here's the next issue. So you have your little fill-ins. If you're filling in, the first S was sinner. She's a sinner. Duh. The next one is better. Self-awareness. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave the more. And he said, you judge correctly, dude. You're right on target. It's amazing you can judge that. But look at the rest. Look what comes next. For this reason, I say to you, her sins are forgiven. She's been forgiven because she loved much. He who is forgiven little loves little. Here's the problem. This guy is lacking severely in what? Self-awareness. Humility. is That's correct. He has no humility. He thinks he's pretty good. Well, she, she's dirty. She's not clean like me. Remember the Pharisee that went to the temple? Thank you, God. Anybody remember that story? Can you imagine anybody actually thinking like that? Yes, I can. Thank you, God, I'm not like other men. They go out and do rotten things. I'm so wonderful. I tithe regularly. I preach on Sundays. You've done it, and so have I. I can't believe people do stuff like that. I, I still, I read the paper today, and I still, I can't believe people do stuff. Believe it. And there but for the grace of God... Self-awareness, no self-awareness. We, my wife has, has uh, made some statements kind of famous in our circles. I, I shared them with some friends recently. Uh, I'm sure she'll be in the news before long because of... But one of my favorites that she uses is, that guy doesn't have the sense to be embarrassed. <laughs> And I see it all the time among the children of God. Can you believe that person? I told them what. You don't have the sense to be embarrassed. You know that you're acting like Satan, not Jesus, and you're proud of it. Rampant flesh running everywhere. Didn't you know the Bible says something about killing your flesh? Letting that change? Self-awareness. The problem with this man is he thinks he has little to be forgiven. Boy, is he deceived. We're all in the same boat. We all desperately need to be forgiven. Just because we haven't done heinous criminal acts doesn't mean our heart isn't dirty and vile. That we haven't been filled with superiority and hatred and anger and resentment and, uh, and arrogance and Envy, oh my, envy and greed, oh brother. The stuff that people have to struggle with. You know, they got all of that. I hate their guts. Sounds like Jesus. <laughs> I need awareness. I need to come. When we have communion, one of the things we should be doing is saying, Holy Spirit, show me. 
show me where I'm looking like Ebenezer Scrooge before the conversion. It's one of my favorite prayers. (laughs) I feel like Scrooge sometimes, and I just hate it. I want to be like he was after. Let me read something to you, if I could. Henry Nouwen, a Catholic spiritual director, writes a book, and everybody who just checked out, come back, come back. (laughs) This guy's got some great stuff. A book called The Return of the Prodigal. It's his musings upon looking at Van Gogh's painting up close. It's fantastic. Let me read a couple of things. It is strange to say this, but deep in my heart, I have known the feeling of envy toward the wayward son. It is the emotion that arises when I see my friends having a good time doing all sorts of things that I condemn. I call their behavior reprehensible or even immoral, but at the same time, I often wondered why I didn't have the nerve to do some of it or all of it myself. Come on, come clean. Shame. How many? Ooh, I, I have a. Ooh, I'm going to hold. <laughs> right here. Back to the book. This is not something unique to me. Listen, there are many elder brothers, sons, and daughters who are lost while still at home. The lostness of the elder son is much harder to identify. After all, he did all the right things. You have to lean in on this, guys, because he did... Wait a second here. You okay? All right. She says okay. Let me just read these two paragraphs. The lostness of the elder son, however, is much harder to identify. After all, he did all the right things. He was obedient, dutiful, law-abiding, hard-working. People respected him, admired him, praised him, and likely considered him a model son. Outwardly, the elder son was faultless. But when confronted by his father's joy at the return of his younger brother, a dark power erupts in him and boils to the surface. Suddenly there becomes glaringly visible a resentful, proud, unkind, selfish person, one that had remained deeply hidden even though it had been growing stronger and more powerful over the years. And here it comes. Looking deeply into myself and then around me at the lives of other people, I wonder which does more damage, lust or resentment? There is so much resentment, so much judgment, condemnation, and prejudice among the saints. There is so much frozen anger among the people who are so concerned about avoiding sin. Could it be that we're totally missing it at times? No, no, that's not, that was rhetorical. We are. We are. And it it seeps its way so often into all of us. We're saying, well, thankfully that's not my problem. Can I remind you of Tim Keller's statement in the book called The Prodigal? One of the evidences that you might not really understand the gospel is that you're so certain that you do. Have you ever been caught up short 
in your own spiritual life and say, I have been. I'm t- as a preacher, I have been. And I go, am I even in? <laughs> am I even getting this at all? When I see some other things that saints have gone through or what they've done for the glory of God, and I go, do I even get it? I think if you get that feeling once in a while, it's probably healthy. Let me tell you something. Sin is good news. What kind of a heretic is this pastor? He's not. Sin is good news. Let me show you why. Jesus turns to the woman. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why is sin good news? Because you can get saved from it. You can get saved from its consequences. You can get saved from the penalty. You can get saved from its power in this life. That's why it's good news, because the gospel has defeated it. If it's in my DNA or I've got some kind of weird sickness that we can't do anything about, I'm doomed. And that's what the culture has swallowed hook, line, and sinker. Can't do anything about this. It's just the way we are. Baloney. Is that a biblical word? It is now. Anyway... And lastly, and I'm going to skip this real quick. He he says, turning to the woman, Simon, you see this woman? She has been serving me from the time she came in. It's a sidebar. We're going to start talking about it like next week. But the fact is, if you belong to Jesus, you have to make up your mind whether you're serving him out of drudgery and duty or out of joy. I see an awful lot of drudgery, man. It makes me crazy. I'm going to skip over that, okay? One more story. You got time for it? Are you sure? Okay. Turn with me back. This will be in Matthew now. Matthew. And I've actually shared this before, so I'll go very quickly. Matthew, 18th chapter, starting in the 23rd verse. And by the way, that uh, last S on your fill-in sheet would be serving or slash even sanctification. She's being transformed as she believes and receives forgiveness. She's being transformed. Now, this is the famous text, page 978. Did I give you the page? Okay, 978. Turn there, and you'll see on the right-hand column, verse 21 is where Peter comes up with that classic question. How many times do I have to put up with this? That, that guy has rubbed my feathers the wrong way one too many times. How many times do I have to put up with this? Now, remember, there's a difference between restoration of relationship, trust, and all that. But forgiveness, that's what's going on in here. I'm just mad. He owes me. And we're so grateful that Jesus said 490 times, and then you can hate him for the rest of your life. That's not what he said. So here's the story, he says. Now, listen, he makes it. No, 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven, verse 23, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he begun to settle them, he who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, isn't it wonderful we have this new Bible that even tells you how much that's worth down below? 15 years of your life. That's what that amount was worth. And the next guy, only about 100 days of wage. You know, a few thousand bucks. First one's millions. So you got to have that clear. He owes him 10,000 talents he brought to him. Since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had in repayment to be made. He's going to recoup his losses. 
So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Boy, he sure looked repentant, sure looked like a Christian on the outside. Oh, I'm so sorry. Have patience with me, I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Critical mass there. He forgave him the debt. But that slave went out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. The fellow slave did the same thing. He falls down, pleads with him, have patience with me, I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Summoning him, he said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had the same response to the other guy? Okay, stop there. You'll read and spoil the end. I said stop, Michael. Okay. (laughs) We're friends. Well, we were until about five seconds ago. Yeah, thank you, thank you. That was good. What happened? First, you have the visual repentance. Have mercy on me. Have patience with me. And he is forgiven. Why is he asking for forgiveness? Because he is, number, your D on there is a debtor. He's a debtor. When you have wounded people, you are in debt. In the absolute sense, they have a right to exact justice from you. He is a debtor and he knows it. Isn't that always the case? You owe me something and until I'm willing to lay that down, I'm going to constantly nag at it. Secondly, because he doesn't believe when the master says, I'm releasing you, he's got something wrong in his thinking that he still needs to go out and collect. So he becomes a debt collector. He was unwilling, however. He went out and threw him in prison that he should pay back what was owed. So he comes against his fellow slave, and he is ungracious toward him. So he's first a debtor, then he becomes a debt collector. Just one more thing here. Summoning him, the master says, you wicked slave, I forgave you. Why didn't you do what I did for you? By the way, it's not like this is just a nice story. Why are we reading these stories about slaves that Jesus made up? I mean, what difference does it make? Because it's not made up. Here's the way it's written in your New Testament. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, forgiving, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also. Wouldn't it be right for you to release your fellow slave? You were a slave, I released you. See, what happens is, We don't live in this, and because we don't live in this, we become crotchety. All spiritual directors, Dietrich Bonhoeffer quotes it at the end of his life together. Uh, We were recently reading in the book of Emotionally Healthy Christianity, several, any other writers, uh, Francis, uh, St. Francis, the other guy, uh, Ignatius, any of the great spiritual directors will always bring you back to the fact you have got to ask God to put into your soul the reality that I am the worst of sinners. That when I see cruddy people, look in the mirror and think for a few minutes before you go off. 
It never ceases to fail me. I always find Scrooge in the mirror. I'm not saying there shouldn't be justice. I'm not saying we should allow people to abuse ourselves or back and forth or what have you. All I'm saying is we have got to live in this place of forgiveness. How many Christians have become debt collectors? And if you become a debt collector, you become debt enslaved. Here's what happens. His Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. (laughs) We torture ourselves. We make ourselves miserable and everybody else around us. How many people? I've heard it a dozen times since I've been at this church, and it used to happen to me all the other times. Oh, they used to come to this church, and something happened. Something happened. (laughs) Yes. You became bitter, and you're ugly. That's what happened. Oh, they did a... Yes, they did something terrible. Yes, I'd thunk their heads together if I could. And in a few cases, I almost did. But the worst part is, you let something happen to you that Jesus said you shouldn't. There's freedom. And we say, thank God our Heavenly Father is not like that guy in the story. You better read the rest. So shall my Heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. What? You read it? Wouldn't you like me to snuff that verse out of the Bible for you? I can't do it. He said it, not me. And the way it looks is the torment and the bondage and the defeat and the lack of grace and the lack of walking in the spirit and joy and life breathing and speaking that is missing from your life. That's the torment. You're living in it. And others suffer from it as well as yourself. Am I making any sense this morning? I have to make up my mind I want to walk in the spirit. If I'm going to walk in the spirit, I'm going to put this stuff to death. I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to work toward really. I'm not saying it's always easy. In fact, I didn't even read from Freedom of Forgiveness because he says, first of all, you can't do it by yourself. You need God. Number one, you need God. Number two, you're swallowing the damages yourself. That's the nobility of forgiveness. Jesus ate our consequences for us. You're choosing to do the same thing for the person who has wounded you. You're choosing to bite the bullet, so to speak. And I'm letting him off. You don't owe me anymore. You don't owe me anymore. I have no problem trying to figure out why churches are dysfunctional. It's right here. It's central to the gospel. The gospel revolves around this subject of forgiveness as a gift and a demand. I'm going to close with this. Somebody wrote me uh, uh, one last question. I, I, I'm going to have to tuck other answers to good questions in good theological sermons if I ever preach one. Anyway, but somebody said they had had an experience where they had wronged somebody. The person has passed away. How do you bring that to closure? Can it be brought to closure? Absolutely. Absolutely. Should I be in torment? I don't have to be. I can do all that I can possibly do. You know, if you ask for forgiveness and they don't give it, you're clear before God if you really meant it. 
That's all you can do. I mean, if there's some payback you need to give, fine. But if a person forgives you, you're released. But if they don't forgive you, your conscience has to be clear between you and God. And you have to pray that God will work on their heart till they, till they come to the point of liberation themselves. But you can be free. And then the question was, so how do I forgive myself? Now I'm going to say one really hard thing. Lone Ranger Christianity was never in the mind of God when Jesus came. I'm going to explain it. Let me show you something. Is anybody among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will heal the one that is sick. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him, and the Lord will raise him up. And so the principle continues in James and says this, Therefore, confess your sins to... What? Wait, wait, say that again? What? No, that is what it says, isn't it? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be... It doesn't happen in a vacuum. We are trying to do Christianity on our own because everything we do is do-it-yourself everything. But the kingdom doesn't work that way. We really do need each other. And that's why we need people moving into health so that we can pray for one another in a healthy way so that we may be healed. I don't want to know your sins, Mike, so I can tell everybody else what a jerk you are. Which, by the way, he isn't. Those of you are laughing at him. Huh? Depends on who you ask. That's true. But you're forgiving those people, aren't you, brother? And, uh, but I want people who will pray with me as my brethren, as my comrades, so that I might be healed. There is so much more power in the gospel than we are experiencing, brothers and sisters. We've got to open that up and let him minister to us and change us and kill the old Scrooge and raise up the new one. Let's stand together. I kept you to the last second. Those of you who have kids downstairs, go and get them so my wife isn't mad at me. That's as long as I usually go. Let's pray. Give us a spirit of willingness, of courage to look inside and risk seeing what we may not want to see, but also risk seeing you stretch your hand into our lives and transform us because you're that kind of a God. We bless your name in the name of Jesus. Put your angels around your people, God. Keep them. Keep them to serve you into the future. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. I'm up here if you need to talk to me.